Welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Taylor. I'm the Managing Director of Travel, Hospitality, and Retail at J.D. Power. And Dan Sharp, one of our producers, tells me this is our 50th podcast, 5-0, and I thought that was worth mentioning at the top here. So, And um, it's just going to be me today, unfortunately, folks. Uh, Andrea is uh, taking a little break from the podcast business, and we have Sarah Baggett here with us. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, well, one of the things that we wanted to mention in this podcast also is uh, the upcoming release of our North American Airport Study, which we've been doing since, oh, I guess around 2000, year 2000 or something like that. Um, and we basically try to track 66 or so North American airports, North America defined as U.S. and Canada. And I think we have about 65 this year. We're still having some sampling issues uh, left over from some of the COVID byproducts of uh, airlines uh, reducing flights to certain airports. So we, uh, we missed one this year. Um, but we're trying very hard to get all 66 of them uh, for the next time around. But anyway, that comes out uh, September 20th, and there will be a webinar sort of like this, um, only with some video as well. And Sarah is also, she produces that as well. So uh, if you've got uh, an inclination, you'd like to get an invite, just send us an email or uh, get in touch with me at uh, Michael Taylor, michael.taylor at jdpa.com, and we'll send you an invite for that. It'll be September 20th this year. So, in any event, Sarah, we, uh, we're going to talk about uh, airports, uh, airport design on this particular podcast. So, uh, I thought we'd maybe start off with maybe if you had a question or something you had developed. Would yeah. Would get into the topic? Absolutely. Well, something that's interesting about airports to me is we don't often think about the design until maybe we have a bad experience, right? <laughs> so that's something that comes up. Um, can you talk a little bit about, in broad strokes, just sort of what makes a great airport? Sure. Um, the phrase I use the most often uh, when I talk about airport design, and I've been doing this for, we were just talking before, in the green room. Uh, I think I've, I've been with J.D. Power almost 25 years now, so and doing airports that entire time. So when... I think about the data, what the data says about airport uh, design. I, there's one big overriding philosophy uh, that I think of. There are two ways to build an airport. One is for people and one is for airplanes. And that drives an awful lot of what happens afterwards. And so the folks who are designing or redesigning an airport have to make that choice. Do we want really efficient air plane operations, being able to move aircraft around the field, around the buildings, onto the taxiways and onto the runways and those kinds of things? Or do we make it a little more difficult to move aircraft around on the field and make it a little bit better for the people who are inside the building? And I really think that really you do have to make that choice of which one did you want. And the examples I use are, for example, if a good example is uh, Atlanta, Hartsfield, which is basically a very big hub for Delta Airlines. And if you look at an overhead map, or a map of the buildings at Atlanta, uh, you'll see that there's basically kind of oblong boxes stacked on top of each other. Um, and that the reason for that design choice is simply that oblong box is a much easier way to move aircraft around. And that's really what you want at a, at a transfer airport, is the ability to move uh, aircraft around very, very efficiently. And to a certain extent, the inside experience for the passenger becomes a little bit different. Um, one is that you're going to have a lot more walking uh, being done because these oblong boxes, obviously, uh, you're going to come in at a certain point and walk uh, to one end or the other. 
to get to your gate. Uh, but that does, again, help the aircraft move around the, the, the uh, buildings themselves and get onto the taxiways. Mm-hmm. And the other way, uh, if you're looking at it, you make that choice and you say, let's, let's build it for the passenger. What we found in the J.D. Power data is there's a high correlation with airports that have kind of an X shape to them or an exploded X, as I like to, to describe it. You know, the, t- the prototypical X uh, design would be, for example, Pittsburgh Airport, you know, where you're traveling from the secure side onto the air side, uh, where you would actually get on the aircraft, and you're coming in the middle of the X, and you are sort of have a mall-type environment there, uh, where you can mass the food and beverage, and it also has a little bit of a benefit for people that they don't feel they're very far away from their gate, if they're in the middle of the airport and they feel it's equidistant to walk from one place to another. So that would be a very good example. An exploded X would be, for example, what you might find at Tampa or you might find that at Orlando uh, Airport, um, where you're basically looking at uh, some kind of uh, obtuse-shaped U's that are kind of stuck together in the middle. And that's sort of a uh, a compromise design. Uh, The other thing that I talk about uh, in air port design is um, every airport design in the world is a compromise simply because for the overall and you laugh a little bit about that but it's it's really true every airport design is a compromise um, and Sarah you can jump in at any time if you think I'm going off off topic here no no um, no I do have a question though uh, thinking of that exploded X and you were talking about sort of that mall setup in the middle um, talk to me a little bit about food and beverage because we know that's one of the the key drivers of, of customer satisfaction. Right. And, and I've heard you talk about having two lines. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always on a busman's holiday when I travel, which, you know, basically means in old-fashioned terms, you know, I'm sort of looking around and saying, you know, what is this airport doing? How well are they doing it? What could they do better? And uh, some of the designs I see are, again, very big compromises. Where do we put the food and beverage? How can we get plumbing and sanitary uh, to certain spaces on the airport and de- deliver goods and services uh, so that people can buy them from the airport vendors. Um, and one of the innovative designs that I've seen over the years, I think we mentioned this before previously on this podcast, is MSY, which is New Orleans Louis Armstrong Airport, You know, which has uh, most of their food and beverages massed in the middle of the concourse. So as you're walking down the concourse, you can go left or right of most of the restaurants and outlets, um, retail outlets in that airport, which gives a little bit better exposure to the uh, food, beverage, and retail itself, sort of because it's you're kind of getting it from attacking it or at least viewing it, accessing it from both sides, and it also has the residual effect of, of allowing bigger screens, with, you know, um, large windows to let in natural light. So oh. there's going to be a lot more brightness and lightness to the airport itself. A third factor is is that half of your foot traffic is on one side of the airport concourse and the other half is on the other side, so it's a little bit less congested versus, Mm -hmm. say, one that where you're traveling down a main corridor like you would be at JFK uh, Terminal 4, for example. Does and that affect the, the sound at all? I, I know, you know, as a person who gets overwhelmed by a lot of a lot of sound at an airport, especially with all the echoing, does sort mm-hmm. of splitting things up like that, does that help as part of the audioscaping, or is that a it, whole different um, tactic? Well, it is. I think it's a whole different tactic in that you, what happens at airports, any place where you're in an enclosed space, 
Uh, obviously, airports are all secure. They're not going to have open air um, sections in them. But every time you have a ceiling, floors that get a lot of traffic, and obviously walls, uh, you're going to have sound that's going to be trapped in a space. And again, if you look, go down to MSY, you'll see that the vast majority of the airport, if you look up at the ceiling, which is the last thing that people look at in, the, in an airport, <laughs> <laughs> they mostly look at uh, the signs, then they look at the seating, then they look at the floor, and eventually they get around looking at the ceiling. Uh, but you'll see the ceiling is multi-leveled and baffled, uh, as it's known in the, in, the, in the industry, the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things about airport design, which we can get into is uh, what's the maintenance cost of a particular choice? You know, if I have carpeting, you know, obviously it makes things quieter, makes it a little easier to walk, you know, the footfall's a lot softer uh, on a carpeted surface, uh, but it does wear out, and it does attract a lot of dirt. And therefore, <laughs> you're going to have a little bit more expense in cleaning and then eventually replacing that. And on the other hand, if you have a hard surface floor, you know, obviously it wears better, much easier to clean, uh, far, far more durable, but it reflects a lot of sound. So if you've got a hard surface floor, you really need to think about what does my ceiling look like so that I can eliminate that noise that people generate you know, as they pull their wheeled luggage down the concourse and talk to their neighbor, and then all the other things that happen in the airport itself uh, that generally add to the ambient noise. Mm-hmm. And then also beyond that, is once you've conquered the ambient noise, you know, what do you do to enhance the passenger experience? And a lot of airports pipe in music, uh, which in (laughs) way back when used to be called Muzak, uh, but now it's a lot (laughs) more sophisticated. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the airports I think does an excellent job, and I believe I've mentioned this on this podcast before, is Salt Lake City. Uh, with their new terminal, is a great job of managing the ambient sound based on the baffling they have, not in the, not only in the ceiling, but also in the sidewalls. Uh, and then they also have some very relaxing and sometimes stimulating music uh, selections um, that really do, I think, add to the experience in that new terminal. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that, you know, go into airport design. You know, am I going to build it for people? Am I going to build it for airplanes? What about my maintenance costs? What do I think about the budget? How am I going to handle the sound? How am I going to handle access to goods and services as people go through the airport itself? So those are some of the big topics. And I have to ask, because this is something I've noticed in several airports, is I don't feel like the bathrooms are always built for aesthetics. I feel like the the floor tiles are always uh, a hideous pattern. Can you tell me about that? Is that uh, to do with, with cleaning and that sort of a thing? Yes, it does, as a matter of fact. So... I spend a lot, I do spend a lot, quite a bit of time about talking about uh, airport bathrooms, which somewhat sometimes embarrasses <laughs> my wife. Uh, but it's a key. What's if you had to pick one thing as a signal to the you know passenger that the airport cares about you, it would be the, their experience in the restrooms themselves. And um, you talked about, for example, the floors, which has, sometimes have hideous patterns in them. Um, and one of the things we found in the JD Power data is that. Uh, there are several factors that go into the airport bathroom floor that make it a good bathroom or a bad bathroom. No matter what you do or how often you clean it, a floor that has a monochrome um, coloring scheme, mm-hmm. you know, it's gray or it's blue or it's, you know, something else, peach, 
for example. <laughs> One of them I've seen has been peach. Uh, and then uh, the amount of grout that you have to the tile size, because the grout attracts um, the dirt. Mm-hmm. And then the geometric patterns that are on the floor themselves. So if you have a, if you imagine a chessboard as being the kind of classic geometric structured um, design, if you, and that really is well, a lot of times in public restrooms, that was the norm for quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of time, and hexagonal tile. If anybody's ever been to Chicago, you can see hexagonal tile in almost half the bathrooms still. Uh, and that's something from 100, 120, 130 years ago. But if you have geometric patterns on the floor, any debris, dirt, or suspicious liquids, as we call them in the business, <laughs> is very apparent because it breaks up that geometry that you see on the floor. So one of the things we've seen in the data at J.D. Power is that if you have a sort of a random pattern on the floor, it hides the dirt, the suspicious liquids, and the debris better. And one of the other things we've seen in, especially in recent airport bathroom design, uh, comes into the philosophy that I call uh, distraction. Uh, some of the best bathrooms we've seen, if you walk into them, they'll have, for example, very high resolution, very large photographs at either end of the bathroom that are backlit. Uh, some of them have um, local scenes. Tampa Airport is a good example. They have local mm-hmm. flora and fauna in these very high-resolution backlit um, photographs that are, you know, I'm, I'm talking photographs that are six feet by four feet um, in size. And you tend to look at those because, A, they're beautiful. Sometimes they're birds. Sometimes they're f- uh, flowers and things like that. Um, the new terminal at uh, Newark, Newark A, also has some of those things in it. Uh, they have beach scenes from New Jersey, for example, which you might think uh, would be, you know, not exactly the best design in the world, but actually some of the beaches in New Jersey are quite pleasant to look at. Mm-hmm. So, but these photographs distract you from what's going on in the bathroom. You're looking at the photographs rather than looking, looking around for things that might be dirty or askew. And the, and the other thing I talk a lot about in bathroom design is wet hand travel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you're washing your hands and you have to turn around and walk across the floor to go to the, you know, where the uh, hand towels might be. Oh, <coughs> yeah. Dispenser, mm-hmm. You know, you're dripping water across that, of course, which, you know, people mm-hmm. walk across that. Again, that's those are liquids on the floor um, that become suspicious to people and also <laughs> pool the dirt and um, make a mess. And so the current design schemes that we see at J.D. Power uh, for high-performing bathrooms, have very little wet hand travel that the uh, the hand dryers or the paper towel dispensers are right next to where the faucets would be. And mm-hmm. uh, right underneath that would be the wastebasket receptacles, which are sometimes under the sink. And again, as we talked about, you know, when you make that choice of hard floor versus carpeting and what your maintenance schedule is going to look like, the maintenance for those smaller below-the-sink uh, receptacles um, is a little more expensive because you have to obviously have more plastic bags and you have to change them more often so you're generally paying people more in the, who are maintaining the bathrooms. But distraction in an airport bathroom, random patterns on the floor, and wet hand travel are, are probably the key design elements uh, that we see in the data that work really well at airports today. That is so interesting. It really is about compromise, as you said at the beginning, you know, all yeah. of these decisions. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Yeah, when we look at, you know, I go through various terminals that have renovated themselves, um, you know, have, you know, built around previous structures. You know, the cheapest way to enlarge your airport is just to build a building next to the one that you already have and make it longer. And, uh, you know, I'm always reminded of where <laughs> I went to college. We had the world's biggest student union. And it started off as a relatively small building, but they just added on to it and added on to it in, you know, and it became called sort of a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. And there were like 14 different ways to tra- traverse the building, depending on what you what you wanted <laughs> to do and where you wanted to go. And that's what happens, I think, in airports a lot. And then that leads to other problems like signs and directions and confusing the people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, you know, that long uh, oblong box uh, that we talk about, those are the easiest airports to navigate because you're just counting up and counting down as you go through the you know, the gates, you know, A1 to A15 on this side, A16 to A30 on the other side, and you know which way you're going, you know, when you're counting up and counting down in there. But if you have airports that are relatively complicated and have been added on to as modules, uh, you sort of can, you can easily get the passenger lost, and uh, signs and directions at decision points become much more um, problematical and you know, mm-hmm. the key to really having good signs and directions and have people get to where they want to go in an efficient manner. Yeah, you want that experience to be as uh, not frustrating as possible, right? Correct. Um, that's correct. Especially well, I think, with the crowds we see today. So That's right. Well, and that's perfect lead-in, Mike, because that's, that's my last question. Um, okay. I know this has been a very busy travel season. We've seen mm-hmm. airports just slam-jammed full, flights absolutely full. And we've talked about some big uh, improvements that airports can do to you know, increase satisfaction, that sort of thing. What's something small, a single improvement that an airport could put in place that can make a big difference that's not necessarily a full-on renovation? Is there anything like that? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, we just talk about size and directions. Everybody thinks that's cheap, but that's not. I mean, that's usually a multi, yeah. multi-million dollar project uh, to do that. Some of the smaller things that I think they can do, oh, um, well, one thing, with a cheaper version of size and directions from the airport campus um, and getting people mm-hmm. into the right um, parking lots or drop-off areas is probably the key thing. Oh, sure. Um, the access roads, it's not cheap. <laughs> this is not a cheap solution, but it is uh, setting up for success kind of thing. Some of the airports that we see have a very convoluted way in which to get to the airport. And unfortunately, not to pick on uh, Boston, but Boston has a very challenging way to get to the airport. You've got to either go on, you know, through the Ted Williams Tunnel, pop up and take a very hard left-hand turn and try to figure out where do I want to park or where do I want to drop someone off at a particular airline, and I'm constantly making a left-hand turn as I'm doing that, or there's mm-hmm. another road on the far side of the airport that's very difficult to get to uh, from most of Boston. Uh, and then, again, not to, you know, blow uh, the uh, MSY's horn, uh, New Orleans' uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, but they have an excellent design for a very wide, sweeping, gentle curve approaching the airport where people have the time to pick up the signs and directions that they want to see or have to see in order to get to their particular parking lot that they've chosen, pre-chosen, or to get to the drop-off area in front of the airport. That gives them the time and the ability to make those decisions as they see the signs and directions. Another good one is PDX which is a very long approach drive that's a straight shot with a couple of stoplights in it, but still it's a straight shot and allows you to set yourself up into the lane that you want to get to, whether you want to go to parking, drop off, or long-term parking. So I don't know if those are exactly cheap and easy ways to do it, but those are at least some of the things I see that really make an airport experience better. And if you don't have that 
experience at the beginning of the, you don't have that good experience at the beginning mm-hmm. of the access. You're not going to have an ex, a good experience as you go all the way through food, beverage, and retail. You won't feel like you have the time to wander down the concourse and enjoy what the airport is offering you today. Well, that's exactly right. And we want those non-aeronautical revenues, right? We want right. people well, spending that money. <laughs> NAR. It's a good, good phrase to know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I think that probably we've gone on for quite a long here. I think it's going to be almost 20 minutes here talking about airports. And you'll have to stop me here, I think, Sarah. <laughs> hey, we could go on forever. And we hope people will join us on the webinar so they can learn even more. Yes. That's, uh, again, September 20th. So uh, thanks very much to Dan Sharp and to Sarah Baggett, who set these things up every month for us and do a fantastic job. And um, we will see you the next time uh, when we have Andrea Stokes come back uh, and we'll be talking about travel at J.D. Power uh, next month. And we'll see you then. (laughs) 